Hello, Turkaholics. Thank you for listening to Football a Turka. This is Season 2, Episode 2, covering Match Day 2 of the Turkish Super League 2019-2020 season. This episode is recorded on Tuesday, August 27th, 2019. I am your host, Kam Bayezid, and I'm joined by my usual co-hosts, Umut Nadere, and of course, the triumphantly returning Burak Sezgin. Guys, thank you for joining me. Hello again. Hello, 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 uh, Turkaholics. I believe that's what we're calling our listeners now. Is that right, Carl? Yeah, I mean... The fantastic Turkaholics. Um, I've been having fun interacting with you all on Twitter and Reddit and some of you on Discord as well. So we'll be putting up some links on how you can join in the conversation. Yeah, I love how you're on interacting there, with, with people too on, on in our DMs and you fail to tell me about it. About it. <laughs> so there's there's a new little uh, segment we have this week, which is called rectifications, uh, because <laughs> because you don't give me feedback on uh, on your uh, little uh, advances with uh, with our turkaholics. Um, indeed, I've been having a few conversations with our listeners on on DM. So thank you for DMing us. We always uh, appreciate value your feedback. Of course, we do the show for you and the listeners. So Khan, next time we have a DM from a listener. I will, of course, call you right away and let you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, please do. Um, uh, how are you doing? How are you feeling? You're about to move to uh, the UK in a, in a couple of weeks or or so. Um, well, I'm a little bit excited uh, and also a bit nervous because of the change I'm about to ha- uh, experience because it's the first time that I'm moving outside of Turkey uh, for a, such a long time period. So, uh, let's see how it goes. I just, you just have to imagine how it was for people like 10, 15 years ago, you know, when you could still get lots of pirated games in, in Turkey, uh, you know, for the PlayStation and the PlayStation 2 and stuff like that, or Xbox yeah. or whatever you were playing. Imagine then having to go to the UK and, and not having those wildly available and having to pay £60 or something for a game. So, you know, it, it could always be worse. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So I already alluded to this new little uh, segment we have, which is called Rectifications. That's for if you catch us making any mistake in one of our previous episodes, you can always uh, DM us on Twitter or you can just message us or, you know, wherever uh, you want, how you want to get your message across if we made a mistake. Uh, and I think most of these are probably mine. So uh, there's a couple uh, I did forget to mention even last episode. It might have been from two episodes ago already, but I'll, I'll quickly start here. So... Rectification number one, the Nidli Spore actually won the Birinji League last season, not Genshter release, so I do apologize for that, the Nidli Spore fans, that was my bad. Uh, second rectification, Bashekshihir are gr- straight into the group stages of the Europa League, but we already you know, covered that like briefly, uh, but that was also a mistake on my part again, uh, I did not... Uh, realized they were straight into the Europa League group stages because it just did not make any logical sense to me as there was still a round of qualifiers to be played, but uh, I figured it out after I realized Porto were in the group stages straight away too. Uh, and then the third of, uh, of of these three rectifications that I have down here, but Burak, if you <laughs> remember another one, feel free to jump in, but this is on, on the Sturridge transfer last week. Uh, we spoke about his, his annual... 
uh, wage, which is one and a half million. Uh, but of course, we also spoke about his signing bonus, and then we said, well, basically that boils down to two and a half million a year for his two guaranteed years of contract. But Burak noticed something in uh, the legal speak um, of, of of the the cap announcement, where it, it specified that Trabzonspor actually got. Uh, would will pay Sturridge a signing bonus this year, but also next year. So that's two million signing bonus this year and next year. So basically, he's earning three and a half million a year, and then in the optional year, uh, it's a potential other three and a half million. I assume there's going to be another signing bonus involved there. I'm not sure if that was uh, specified, Burak, in the language. Uh, can't remember that. The main thing I remember is the wage and the signing bonus that he's going to receive each year. So he's making, he's making a tidy profit on what he used to earn at Liverpool. Of course, the wage, the, the tax is around about 40-45% in the UK mm-hmm. on those high earners, and it's only around 15 in Turkey. So he's pretty much just about doubled his, his salary. Did he really um, earn that little at, at Liverpool? Because, I mean, Premier League players tend to be very highly paid. I know Jeng Tosun is making like £5 million. Obviously, that's not net, but still, that's a lot of money. I think storage was. I need to, need to double check, but I think his take home off the tax was, was around about, excuse me, around about thirty five thousand pounds a week. And I think if you, that's pounds, and in euros at Trabzon, I think he's on around about the sixty thousand mark. So he's a nice little increase in in pay to go and play in in Trabzon, and let's hope it works out better for him than it did for Kevin Campbell. Okay, and a shout out to one of our Patreons, uh, Brad Kaya Warden. We will be discussing um, Pasolik uh, probably during this upcoming break uh, as one of our, so to speak, filler episodes. So that's one Ooh. of the requests of, for, of him, but I definitely want to have uh, Uzar on. I think I want to get his thoughts on, on the matter, but I, I think we're all generally uh, of the same opinion. But of course, Umut has most experience with it, so he'll be able to. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about Pastor League 2. Uh, Burak, you found a very interesting thread on Pastor League, so we'll be talking about that as well, which will be very useful for uh, foreigners trying to go in and uh, watch a Super League game or a Cup game or even a, a European game, because I think you need Pastor League for that too these days. Um, so, anyway, we'll be discussing Pastor League in the upcoming future. But uh, let's get into uh, the meat and potatoes. Let's get started with the Europa League results because, of course, Trabzonspor last week played their first of their two-leg qualifiers against AEK Athens. And Trabzonspor did very well for themselves because they got an away victory, 1-3. And Marco Livaya was the guy who's got the scoring started here. He put AEK Athens 1-0 up after just four minutes. Um, And Marco Livaya, of course, are guest on the preview, Stavros Markulakis highlighted him as the star of Ike's team, and uh, he got on the score sheet straight away, it didn't look too good for Trabzon early on, they got a penalty, Jose Sosa stepped up, hit the bar, missed it, and then of course you're thinking, well, that's not going to end well here for, for Trabzonspor, but Trabzonspor kept playing confidently, um, and, and dominated possession, uh, and played a decent match, but all three of their goals were very similar in the sense that they, I think all three, they came off a corner kick, not maybe directly. Uh, the goal scorer was always the same as well. Midfielder Kaleb Ikuban got a hat-trick in this match in the 26th, 44th and 70th minute. And that gives Trabzonspor obviously an amazing advantage heading into Thursday's second leg at the Akiazi Stadium. Uh, guys, were you surprised by how easily 
Trabzon's poor saw of uh, the, their Greek opposition? Um, I was. Um, I thought it might be a little bit tougher for them playing away from home. But I, I think it just shows you the quality that Trabzon have in their team, especially in their attacking prowess. Um, I did uh, pip them or tip them to go through to the group stages, and I think that is going to come true, which will be good because it will be good for the coefficient points for Turkey. So I'm hoping for a successful campaign from the teams this year to keep that those points high for us. And I think it will be just business as usual when they bring it back to Trabzon to, to finish it off. I don't foresee any slip-ups from them. No, I don't think so either. Uh, Umut, what do you think? Uh, Trabzon got this in the bag or could there still be a surprise in store on Thursday? Uh, at first, uh, correction, a uh, third goal came from an open play uh, assisted by Abdul Kadir Emir and a clean finish from Caleb Ekuban. Uh, I watched the game, uh, the whole game live and I can say uh, their play is really good and effective uh, on the opponent's half of the pitch. and. Uh, they play real fast and uh, the passing game is so good and really promising for the upcoming games. Yeah, I see a lot of resemblances with, with Fenerbahce, for example. I think the main issue for Trabzonspor is defensively. Um, they do seem to allow quite a few chances in their games. I mean, we saw it again this weekend, uh, but of course, no spoilers now. But uh, last week too against Kasim Pasha and then... Uh, Trabzonspor going forward look very good, similar to Fenerbahce, but they still need to work on that on that defense. That's why I was kind of uh, surprised that uh, they uh, let uh, Ed Garrier uh, go on loan to Feyenoord, um, you know, without even giving him a try, uh, because I think that could have been a, a decent addition to their team. But I, I'm not sure what their status is when it comes to foreigners in the squad, so maybe that had something to do with it. But uh, hopefully he has a good season in, Ho in Holland and uh, comes back and Trabzonspor uh, give him a shot, because I think it would be a, a, a fine addition for them. Anyway, let's uh, head over to uh, the Super League, uh, because it's what we're here to talk about, of course, the match day two results of the Turkish Super League. And we'll start off on Friday, where, where Besiktas came back, bounced back from their 3-0 defeat last week against Sivaspor and got a 3-0 win of their own over Gustepe at the Vodafone Park. Goals here coming from Güven Yalcin in the 45th minute, Janer Erkin in uh, the 54th and Adem Ljajic in the 59th. So Besiktas getting the job done within the hour, so to speak. Things of note in this match was the debut of Josh Kevin Nukudu. Made a good impression. Looked very, very fast um, and, and not necessarily uh, too poor on the ball, very good dribbling skills it seemed like, he got about 20 minutes or so and seemed very stoked to get on the pitch, looked impressed by the, the home crowd and, and seemed to uh, be invigorated by uh, them getting behind him every time he got the ball, so that was that was fun to see. Um, Gustepe, I think you got a couple of notes on that Umut, they didn't look too good uh, in attack again, I mean, I, I kind of had that moment you had last week with Eren Derdiok, where I, I think, I don't know, let's say the 55th minute or something, um, or in the first half maybe, I don't remember exactly when it was, but it was well into the game. Suddenly he was involved in an aerial or something, I'm pretty sure he lost it. And I'm like, oh, is he on the pitch? So uh, I know you've got a couple of things to say about Gustepe's uh, prowess looking, uh, going forward. Well, as I said in the first week, Gustepe started really bad. Their creativity on the attacking side is almost none. So they always 
uh, look so slow during the attacking phase, and which gives the defending sides, uh, the, which, which was Besiktas this week, uh, proper time to line up and close the gaps before the threat happens. And with these two fast and pacey wingers they have, uh, Sardar Gürler and Halil Akpunar, you would expect them to use them as a threat uh, from sides, but... They failed to do that. So, and uh, Aran Dardiok uh, is a experienced player, but uh, was uh, ineffective uh, during these two games. And the first goal came uh, from his error of judgment of the header he missed, and uh, Besiktas player Güven Yalçın scored the first goal, and the others came in after it. Yeah, and he was taken off at halftime and Halil Agbuna was put in and I think he created pretty much all the danger that Gustepe had in this match, which wasn't of any particular note, but Halil Agbunar was the player that looked most threatening uh, when it came to Gustepe. Um, Burak, any surprise for you that Bishtaj bounced back with a 3-0 win here? Uh, I didn't expect a hiccup at, at home. Um, I don't think that Besiktas played particularly well, but I just think Gustafa were awful, um, especially Beto. I thought he had a really poor game. Uh, the second goal from John Ad, he, uh, he should have done a lot better. I know it came through a crowd of people, but the goalkeeper should have done a lot better. And the third goal uh, from Laich, he just you know, let it slip in under himself. I think Gustafa were lucky not to go down to 10 men. Uh, I think Poco should have got a second yellow for the stamp on Orsan's foot. Um, and that was right in front of the ref, so I don't know how he didn't see that. Um, and no Cameron Jerome on the bench, so I don't know what he's up to uh, these days. So we can, you know, we just have to say hashtag Cameron Jerome effect. But um, Gerstepper didn't look like they were going to cause any any trouble. And like I say, I think the the three goals that Besiktas got were just through really bad defending from Gerstepper. I know you hit the the bar twice before you open your yeah. account, but um, I think there's still some work for Abdullah Khafji to, to do there. Yeah, and they hit the bar twice in the first half, like you said, before they scored, but that was really both attempts from outside of the, the box uh, because Bishtish were struggling, um, and I think the main issue there was their midfield. Uh, Gary Medell was not very involved uh, in, in the build-up, um, that improved in the second half. Gary Medell came into the ball a lot more, uh, was clearly instructed to play the ball forward straight away, come into the ball more, and you could instantly see that that midfield started to churn and that uh, Besiktas started to work more. And a very interesting thing that uh, was also um, spotted by you know analysts, and, and Umut saw it straight away too. I, I noticed it too, but Umut, please explain to us what Janner's role as a false left back was for Besiktas was very interesting to see. Like as you say, uh, the midfield was ineffective during the first half, but during the second half we saw Janner coming to the central area more than he ever did. Uh, he was roaming around just like a regista down there, even though he was a left back in the formation. I think this made a really good impact on Besiktas' uh, playmaking side that he came over, uh, came over to take more responsibility to build up play from the back instead of the center backs. Also, he roamed around uh, in the central area, created a possibility for Adam Liege to make some forward runs 
as uh, the area was filled by Janerarkin in the midfield, and the third game uh, came, uh, third goal came likewise, as Adam Leach made a forward run and scored a great solo goal from cutting in from the uh, from left side. Yeah, and I'm curious if that's something that uh, Besiktas will continue to use that false left back, uh, this, regardless of whether it's Janerarkin or Pedro Rebocho. Uh, who plays in that position. But it's going to be interesting to see once Besiktas brings in a new defensive midfielder because uh, we'll have some news later about that, about G- uh, Gary Medell, about the new uh, defensive midfielder coming in, stuff like that. So it's going to be interesting to see if they have a midfielder that's more capable of, of, of uh, playing in a more deep-laying playmaker role or more of a role like Atiba had where he was just you know distributing the ball but not necessarily as a playmaker, um, but just... You know, helping the transition from defense to attack. If we'll still see Jana or Rebocho in that false uh, left back role, I'm not sure if we will see that. But that's clearly something that has been practiced for Besiktas. It's one of the first big signs of really uh, Afchi's hand coming back. It's something I haven't really seen too often a false left or right back. So uh, that was interesting to see. Uh, but let's move over to Saturday. Uh, if you want to get a deeper analysis on the Besiktas game, go to the Black Eagles podcast. Saturday, Ankaraguju and Kayseri Sport played to a 1-1 draw on Saturday. Dever Urgil getting the scoring started here for Ankaraguju, opening up his account in the 59th minute. But uh, Umut Bulut with a last grasp equalizer for Kayseri Sport salvages a point in added time against his former club. Ankaraguju, um, yeah, they, 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 for the second week in a lo- row, I thought they looked decent uh, because... A lot of woes for Ankaragaju, transfer ban, no new players. Only managed uh, to uh, sign Kitsio on a permanent deal. That ma- somehow managed to get through. I guess that was like a, an optional thing or something. So that got uh, got allowed by the TFF. Um, Burak, any surprises here for you, Ankaragaju Kaiseri? If, if you would have been asked beforehand to make a prediction for a betting coupon, what would you have said? I would have gone with Ankara Gujia. I was I would have gone for them to win. Um and Kai said the last minute Umut Bullock the timeless uh, the timeless Umut Bullock pops up again. The guy that looks like Sadur Afach but doesn't play football like him. So the uh, like I say, popped up at the right time with a goal. Um I thought Ankara Gujia didn't if they were had their finishing boots on they could have won it. Um bad miss by Aiden in the first half and then at uh, one the Orgil had a bit of a tough chance where he turned left foot, put it just wide of the post. I thought he could have finished that. So maybe he's not fresh. Maybe he's just not that good. Or maybe he just needs a, a run of few run of matches to get his shooting boot back on. And also for the Orgil goal, um, we have had VAR in Turkey. This is the second season. Why can't we get goal line technology? Because that goal, it was over the line. We could see it in the replays. But it was given by the linesman. And I'm just thinking, we've got goal line technology in the English Premiership. We've had it for a few seasons now. How hard would it be to introduce into Turkey so that there is no uh, shades of grey um, for that? So that's something that I think um, might be a topic for discussion. But uh, Kai said it, oh, I just think they're a little bit bad with their finishing. Um, and there was an Ankara goal that was given off for offside, which was correct as the, the player that played it on was in the offside position. So that was uh, a good, good call, correct call. But 
I would have put Uncle Gajito in and like you say, the, the classic old bullet popping up at the end to give Kaiser a point. Um not well deserved in my opinion. Yeah, and not much left to be said. I think Uma, do you have any more points to make about this game? Well, uh, at the very early stages of the game, I saw Aiden Karabulut missing two really big opportunities early on that you would expect him to score with ease, but he just kicked the ball yeah. directly to Sylvia Lung's hands instead mm-hmm. of a seven-meter goal. I think he took a touch too really many cost- on that first one. That was like that was like a yes, sitter. And- he didn't look so composed and uh, indecisive uh, where to hit the ball, and this really costed them three points and uh, Ankara Gaju now left on two points of course after that draw so not, not a disastrous start for them but uh, I think many of them expect many fans of Ankara Gaju expected the worst start but there could have been more I mean the penalty shout last week uh, this week there were some penalty shots but I didn't feel like there was one that you could have uh, definitely given but um, yeah let's move over to Alanya Sporkasim Pasha that was a goal scoring Best. Alanya Spor here with their second win in a row. 4-1 trashing of Kasim Pasha. Um, their new signing, the Greek Anastasios Bakasetas, got on the scoring shoot in the 29th minute, but Mametiam had equalized just four minutes later for Kasim Pasha. Papi Sisse then scored in the 54th minute to make it 2-1. Junior Fernandez scored six minutes later to make it 3-1. And Yassin Bamu got on the score sheet towards the end to make it 4-1. Papi Sisse also had a goal disallowed in the first half. Yeah, Alanya Spor continued to impress under new leadership, but they just picked back up where they uh, left off last season under Sergen Yalcin. And uh, Erol Blue just continued that, that good work that was already... Uh, done by by Sergen and and it's just a very good team with uh, I think a lot of quality to it with a lot of very interesting players, experienced players, some younger players. It's it's, it's a nice little mix. I enjoy watching Alanya Spor. Uh, Brock, your opinion on Errol's work so far with Alanya? I think he's done well, like you've just pointed out, to continue the the work of of Sergen. They still play with pace. Which is which is good to see. Uh, Papi Cisse is always going to score you goals as well. Sometimes his finishing is a little bit woeful. I think that's dependent on the day as well. Maybe he, whether he's had a good night's uh, sleep or night or not. And I think they still um, Efejan Karaja as well. Still one of the main men for them. Um, he's got to find it a lot harder to get into the national team. I think with all these youngsters around. But I think if he keeps performing like he is at Alanya, then I think he's a good addition to have in, in into the team. Um, and, and and of course, like you say, they've got a good mix of um, experience in there, especially with um, Mr. Gusilam in there in the mid, in the midfield. So. Like I say, I think when you play them at home, they will be very uh, tricky to, nav- to navigate because they, you know, they're going to hit you on the break with lots of pace. Yeah, you, what do you think, Umut? Um, were you surprised by how easily they they dispose of Kasim Pasha, and, and are you surprised at all by Kasim Pasha's uh, weakness, so to speak? They, they haven't looked too uh, too fresh early on this season. Well, it's hard to actually play in Alanya uh, based on how high uh, the attitude, uh, altitude that their stadium is. Uh, their stadium is way high up and it's really hard to perform down there. So 
Uh, I can understand the teams going uh, as an away team to Alanya, uh, as I went there before, and really hard to perform there. But uh, uh, moreover to that, uh, I can say, as you said before, really good players on the bench as well. And I can say uh, Sali Uchan uh, being a good player on the bench and how uh, seeing how Ozan Tufan did in the previous year, I can say uh, he can make a good improvement down there uh, in his journey in Alanya Spor as well. Let's move over to our next game because uh, the next one, Burak, you missed your triumphant. I, I said I introduced you as uh, your triumphant return, so to speak, because you, of course, missed the first episode of the season in which Fenerbahce won in an emphatic way. And Pat Cox, of course, joined us last week and did a tremendous job. Thank you, Pat. But it, it was a shame not to have you on because after suffering through what was Fenerbahce's worst season in history, and especially, I mean, for you, um, you know, you're too young to have remembered the, the, the seasons that came close to this. So for you, definitely the, the worst season that you've seen in your life, I'm sure, especially the, the first two thirds of the season. But then to come back now, last week, emphatic 5-0 win against Ghazi Shahir. And then here, a huge win over Bashakshi here in uh, the Fatih Terim Stadium. 1-2 to two to Fenerbahce. And it was Enzo Crivelli, the new signing for uh, Bashakshi here, who I likened to Michael Frey a couple of weeks ago, uh, scoring a beautiful goal in uh, the 32nd minute. That I, I, so I, I take that back, Enzo. Uh, I think you're already better than Michael Frey ever was. Uh, but then Vedat Muric in the 77th minute pulled things level for Fenerbahce on a very nice Tolgat Ziyarici assist. I didn't know he was still alive, but apparently he is. And then Nabil Dirar in the 4th minute of stoppage time heads it home on the tremendous Ferdi Cadiolo cross. 1-2 to Fenerbahce in stoppage time. A typical Ersunyanal win, if you'll remember, in the 2013-14 season when Fenerbahce last won the title under Yanal. Um, there were lots of these games where it was back and forth. Both teams could have scored on either end. And then in added time, Fenerbahce sneak in a winner. And it was a great goal. And uh, Fenerbahce with a good win. And I thought they played a good game. Although, Edin Vizca should always make it 2-0. And then, of course, this match is 90 percent 95 99 percent over i think if Vizca finishes that but uh he had a tremendous tremendous opportunity but altai bayender with an amazing save um absolutely astonishing uh, how he managed to keep that out maybe it's down to Vizca's finishing maybe it's down to altai i'm gonna let you guys decide brock you first please because of course it's Fenerbahce. we are fucking back is what i, I say to that it's like, oh, when you win a game like that, in this, the manner you did that, that is like winning two to three games. And it gives the whole club a lift. The players, the management, the fans, uh, the Technic team, uh, the Dunaji on the street, um, the pub down the road, the people selling the little scarves on the, the streets around the areas of Kadoka. It gives everyone a lift walking up. Um, like you say, um, Vedat Muric, what, what a, what a guy, what a guy. I mean, you know, eats his steak raw and scores his goals raw as well. Um, that's two weeks, two strikes, 
great pass by Torga Diagio. We put him in an oxygen tent last season to recuperate, and it's done wonders for him because he hit a great ball, Emre-esque, and Vidat just struck out his his long, you know, cotter than leg and smacked it past past Matt. Got to give credit to Bashok Shahir. Their goal was absolutely class. It shouldn't have counted because the ball was moving when Matt kicked the pass to him. And as we know, I am a man of the law and that is against the rules. That should not have counted. The two goals that were given off for VAR, the first one for Bashok Shahir, correct call. The second one for Fenad, correct call. They were offside. And the the winning goal, masterstroke by Ariston Yanal, because it was all three substitutes were involved in that goal. The ball was won by Alpar Potuk. It ended up getting to Mihar Zaitz, who dribbled like a like a sexy dribble for about ten or fifteen meters. I played it into Farid Kadaulu, who did a nice little pirouette before hitting that side of the foot pass into Nabil Dirar with his lovely big fat Moroccan forehead and smacked it in into the goal. Um, absolutely amazing. Big shout out to Altai. Like you said, I think it was a combination of Visca just looking into the whites of Altai's eyes and sheering his pants and thinking, I can't score this. I can't score this. And the first one, he hits the post and then Altai just stands up to him, just gives him the eyes and just, you can see Visca's soul just leave his body and he just messes up the finish. So, of course, we hit the post. And we hit the bar before as well. Uh, Veda Moric, uh, great, great assist. But the thing I like about Veda is he's not afraid to get stuck in and, and work, like do the dirty work, like run and chase men down and put in a shift every every single game. I think we've not had a striker like him, like his position and his composure and his dominance on the field since the days of Hoy Duncan, before they even Kenneth Anderson, you know, nice, big target man, good with their feet. And the great thing about Veda is unlike a Hoy Dunk or an Anderson, he's still only 25 as well. A married, had a son in the summer as well, so his family man settled down and he's just here to play football. And But what I didn't like is that we put Ozan Tufan at right back and you've got Murat Salam, the little tiger, um, I love him. I think he's going to be a great player. But, you know, you, would, you win the match. I would have preferred to see Murat play it right back. And Because Ozan's just come back into the team. He had a good game last week against Gaza Shihir. Then straight away, he's been shunted onto, onto the right. Um, I think Faraday's going to be um, a star this season. Hopefully, if he can get some time. So, unfortunately, we have the injury to Moses and, and Dennis Turic started also, great shot just off the bar from from him, which actually that led to the Basak Shahir goal. The ball boy threw the ball into Marat. Um, but I don't know. Next week, we got Thrubs on, so I'm not sure what Arsene's going to do. Is he going to start Ferdi and drop Rodriguez or drop Turic, Dennis Turic? Because uh, then, like you said, you have the battle of the Wonder Kids. You'll have Ferdi on one side and Abdul Qadir Umar on the other. But from a Fenner fan, it's just great to see us play with some some passion and some fun as well. Um, it's good to see just good attacking football. And I'm really looking forward to the game against Trabzon next week. And hopefully a few more four signings because I still worry for our defence as well because of the way that Jarlson was just 
walked past for for the goal from Basic. He also had some yeah, good again, moments though, a... where he he really uses his speed quite well, I think. And uh, yeah. uh, he's got those good long negatives. legs. Yeah, exactly. Positive, uh, positives and negatives with with Charleston, of course. But uh, Enzo Crivelli's finish was yeah. Who could have? But again, I shouldn't have counted. Do we agree on that, gents? It shouldn't have counted. It was against I, the law. I do think. Ball was moving. Ball I was do moving. Think, by the a... way. <laughs> Go ahead. I'll let you I speak do now. think that uh, Altai made a mistake there. By the way. He should not have gone down like that. He should have closed this angle down. There's no reason for him to dive into Crivelli's feet there. And he's giving him the opportunity to stick it over him with the outside of his boot with a slight little lift. If he just stays up and goes down with his with his ass, basically, there's no way Crivelli gets that in. So it's I a think he's going he's gonna to learn from that, Khan. You <laughs> said that. He's, he listens to this podcast, I've been told. So he, he's going to learn from this. And the next time he's in that position, he's, he's going to stand up and just like he did with Visco, he's going to look into the whites of their eyes. The opposition player is going to shit themselves and fail to score. Umut, what did you think of uh, Edin Vizca's uh, wasted opportunity? He continues to yeah, be a little wasteful early on in the season. He had chances against Olympiacos, so it's Robinho, of course. Um, but that he should have always put away. Was it down to Vizca's finish or was it just a spectacular save from Altai? Well, I think it was both, but it was also bad luck, uh, which he was denied by the post as well. And uh, sometimes it's just bad luck because uh, you need that luck uh, to be with you. And Edin Wischa, the main player uh, after Emre's departure to Fenerbahce, and all the responsibility was left to him in the team. And... He really forces himself to do the right thing, but it's not. It's never just easy to do all those. And I can say, uh, Başakşehir started really well and uh, uh, scoring that beautiful goal uh, by Enzo Crivelli, which in fact was a brilliant goal for me. But uh, which shouldn't have counted. Which shouldn't have counted. Uh, I think the ball was... Uh, the ball was moving. It was indeed. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's debatable. But uh, as Mert Gunok played the uh, quick goal kick direct into his path, Enzo Crivelli, uh, Fenerbahce defenders were nowhere to be seen. Uh, where was Dirar? Where was Zanka? There was only Jailson to defend Crivelli during the goal and he was also hesitant about tackling to him to avoid any penalty calls. As Crivelli already arrived to the penalty box and the perfect finish from him uh, from a, such a small angle. And uh, after that, Fenerbahce got uh, into an attacking phase. And uh, just before the goal uh, of Enzo Crivelli, Denis Truch was also denied by the post, which was a bad luck for him uh, as well. And I really rate him, unlike the many other authorities, I think. Uh, it's a pity that he won't be uh, given a, uh, chances to take the set pieces in Fenerbahce. Uh, that was what he did uh, during his time at Kaiserspor. But uh, in Fenerbahce, there are the main, uh, main players to take those, uh, which are currently Emre for the uh, free kicks and Kruse for the corner kicks. But I really hope uh, he continues to impress for Fenerbahce uh, and uh, the other main player was, I think, Tolga Giarje, uh, uh, the player who made the first assist 
to Vedat Muric was a brilliant because I wasn't expecting such quality pass from Tolga Giorgi and such a clean assist from him. Uh, and I also actually used to his good play from his Galatasaray times, but however, he was never consistent uh, because his good performances were, were, were always interrupted by his long-term injuries during this season. And really those injuries forced him to start all over uh, during the seasons. But I, I hope he continues to impress as well. And that's all. So uh, let's talk a little bit about those those opportunity those uh, sorry those those options for Fenerbahce on the wings. We spoke about this earlier in the season. Gary Rodriguez. I know Umut, you haven't been impressed with Gary. You said it last week. I don't think you were particularly impressed here either. Uh, Dennis, for me, had a little bit of a bland game. I wouldn't say he was particularly impressive. Of course, he did have uh, that, that that shot, but. Um, if you would have to pick Burak, who would you omit, Dennis or or, or Gary? If you pick it, if you want to put him fairly, obviously Ferdi's not a winger, but you don't necessarily have to play with a pure winger. Um, what who would you sacrifice if it was up to you? Uh, I would go Gary Rodriguez, um, just because I think Dennis and Ferdi, I think they've got that little bit of a mean mean streak to them in the way they play. Dennis definitely you can tell he likes to have a bit of a bit of a rock and a fight. And I think Faraday just from his celebrations, you can see that he's got that that spirit inside him. So I would go for those two. I'd drop Gary. What about you, Muta? Do you agree with that obviously or are you Fuchinist to which fan? So I assume it's a yes. Well uh, I like the Instruch more but uh I really started to hate Gary Rodriguez after his time, uh, his last times in Galatasaray because he became way too predictable as he just continues to uh, cut inside from the left and tries to shoot down there. But uh, he was always denied by the defenders as they know what he will do uh, every other time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Uh, I think Fenerbahce can use him as a counter-attack threat uh, at occasions, but on, on the other times, uh, I, I like Denis Sturridge much more of a playmaker kind of player to create more chances for them. Yeah, and you're and like Umut pointed out earlier, I think with Denis, the thing is, of course, if you're not allowing him to get take the set pieces, you're taking away some of his uh, arsenal. Of course, because he gets a lot of his assists from from his from his uh, crosses uh, from from corners and and, and free kicks. So, uh, but that's something you know. I mean, Emre thirty eight, Max Kuzer thirty two, um, Dennis could become the set piece taker in a couple of years. So, is, if he can settle in, if he can establish himself, doesn't necessarily have to give ten fifteen assists because obviously I, I think people know and realize that you know he's not taking the set pieces he's going to get less assists. Um but with so, his try I really think he's currently the best corner kick taker in the league right now, but he's not given any chance. He had a really good season two years ago, I wanna say, where his corners were absolutely brilliant and, and very consistent. But then he had a little bit of a drop off. So I, you know, I think with like with any player, like you know, back in the day with with Manuel Fernandez, he he had periods where almost every like 
a corner was like half a penalty. And then he had periods where his uh, corners weren't so good. So I think you have that with everyone, even with the biggest specialists. Sometimes they're just in a period where their corners are amazing. Uh, but then they, you know, sometimes you just don't hit it right. And you're in a little bit of a of a dip. And I think that's the same thing with a player like Dennis. Um, and, and, and the same thing was true with Fernandez. I think those are two players that rely heavily on those set pieces to get them to, to buff their stats up a little bit. Not that that's, you know, not very important. Set pieces are a massive part of the modern game, so having a good set piece taker is important, but Fenerbahce have uh, plenty to choose from. Um, any last remarks before we move on from either of you gentlemen on uh, Fenerbahce's impressive start to the season? Uh, just a great big fuck you to Bajakshi here. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, what's uh, similar uh, emotions? Yeah, I think uh, Fenerbahce might uh, found might found their striker at last uh, without Murich, and I think Galatasaray made a big mistake not transferring him, uh, and I think we're gonna regret it at last. Yeah, if you don't get Ramal Falcao, which at the moment it doesn't really look too likely. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, but you you weren't too fond of the the Vedat Muric uh, move a couple weeks ago uh, when when it was still up in the air where he was going to end up. But he's convinced you, then I take it uh, in these because it's always a question mark when you see a player, especially strikers, moving from a mid-table team to a, one of the big sides. You know, because we've seen so often in the past. Take for example, so Diagne, oh, uh, Zafar yeah. Burial, Serkan Aykut, Gokhan Unal, who did okay at Trabzonspor, but could never really break any eggshells at uh, at Fenerbahce. And there's Yo. been plenty of other uh, examples oh. of that. Of course, Murat Hajiulu. when he came from Trabzon to Galatasaray uh, in uh, 2012, I think, when he mm-hmm. first came. It was a doubt uh, whether he'll perform good or yeah. not because everybody was too unsure because he was the main player at the team when he was at Trabzonspor. But uh, everybody was uh, just uh, doubtful about his uh, performance in Galatasaray because he wasn't the main player down there. Mm-hmm. True. But I think with the thing with Vedat Muric is like like Burak has, has rightfully pointed out, he's more than just another big man who scores. He's he's an intelligent player. He has technique. I mean, he's obviously knows Latan Ibrahimovic, but still, he's he's got good feet and he likes to get stuck in. Like Burak said, it, it's just a very good player who's gradually developed, started off in the second division with I believe Gireshun, worked his way up. Then first season against Derby in the Super League. Wasn't much of a goal scorer, but was a very good player still, a good team player. And I think that's where uh, his his success comes from, too. Like, those goals ended up coming, but he became a good team player first before he became a goal scorer. And what you see with a lot of those Anatolian goal scorers from the past, like Zafir Birol and Okan Yilmaz, Serkan Aykut. Well, maybe not Serkan so much, but you've seen... Makukula, <laughs> you know, those guys, They all they really did on the pitch was score goals. They weren't necessarily more than that. They weren't so important for their team. And, and, and Vedat's such a hard worker. He, I think he, he really lifts this Fenerbahce up to a higher level right now. I don't think with a, with a different striker, if you put, let's say, Roberto Soldado there, I, I think Fenerbahce are still kind of a half-baked team, which... Yeah, you know, because now they're still not perfect because that back line is still, 
I mean, I think if Fenerbahce go into Europe with this team, especially, for example, the Champions League, they'd get slaughtered. But for Turkey, you don't need um, a, a, a great back line if your attack is that good. And, and so far, Fenerbahce's attack has looked impressive. Um, yeah. Burak, any last thoughts or move on? Uh, no, this, I'm sure the, the Fenerbahce fans listening have enjoyed that. I'm sure the other fans have probably thought, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> but, you know, early, feet are firmly on the ground. Feet are firmly on the ground. It's just, I'm just happy to be watching my team play good football. That is positive. But I think, yeah, let's get on to the, the next games and see where that leads us, Mr. Khan Bayazit. Oh, yeah, one more thing. I do say it's early, of course, but this is a big first test, and next week there's another one. Fenerbahce come through these three weeks let's say they, they they beat Trabzon next week which I think Trabzon I think in everyone's eyes right now is the big contender alongside Fenerbahce it's super early like we said but let's say Fenerbahce come out with a win next week I mean that's two really difficult games in the bag already in that first half of the season so you know I mean it's early but if you can convince early on that that doesn't necessarily mean that that doesn't have to mean anything Anyway, uh, yeah, let's move on to our uh, Sunday results. Um, Rizespor playing the early game on Sunday against Sivaspor. So Sivaspor, of course, coming off that 3-0 win against Besiktas. Rizespor already had three points in the bag as well. And it's Rizespor here that get a 2-1 win over Sivaspor. Goals here coming from Brian Samudio in the 55th minute from a penalty uh, penalty kick. And then Fernando Boldrin doubled their lead three minutes later in uh, the 58th minute against uh, Sivaspor. And he, of course, the new transfer for, for Rize coming from Kayseri. And then... Uh, Sivaspor managed to pull one back. Fernando Andrade in the 79th minute, but they couldn't find an equalizer. Um, a very sad news from this match as well. Rizespor striker Mustafa El Kabir broke his leg, and um, very unfortunate uh, bunch of, 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 of events for him. I mean, the, the team bus forgot to pick him up apparently at the at the the training complex so he had to take a cab to get to the to the stadium on time and then he got there on time and ends up breaking his leg so uh Mustafa El Kabir get Schmijolson get well soon he'll be out for about six months um but you never know with these kind of types of injuries but uh, let's let's hope he gets uh gets better Umut I'm gonna throw to you first resist spore with their second win against a good team, Sivaspor, because I did think Sivaspor played a good game here. Uh, but those two quick succession goals kind of caught them off guard and uh, ended up being enough for Riza to to take the tr- keep it t- three points at home. Well, also Mike gets Michelson to Mustafa El Kabir as well, and I think it's the second time a broken leg happened in Riza Sport Stadium, which was Emrak Baba last season, and it's the uh, it's the Second time it happened, uh, it's a really bad thing to hear as well. Uh, and uh, seeing Rizespor uh, acting as a uh, compact team, uh, they the players know each other really well after playing a uh, bunch of seasons together. And their uh, back players, as we mentioned before in the uh, earlier episodes, really improved their games and really uh, eager to... Uh, participate uh, in the attacking phase of the game so 
they made a quite well impression during the games and uh, looked really well during the game. What did you think, um, uh, Borak, about Rizespor? How did they look? How did Sivaspor look? Were you surprised that Sivaspor coming off of a 3-0 win over Besiktas suddenly go down to Rizespor, who are Besiktas' opponent next week, by the way? Um, yeah, I wasn't expecting Sivaspor to go down in, in that manner. Obviously, they, they beat Fenerbahce in the preseason game, and then they got the win last week. And maybe it's just something about Rize. Like I said, I think it's Ismail Kartal, isn't it? He's the the new manager there now. He is and indeed. They've lost, yeah, and obviously they've lost both Vedat and who's the other guy? Was it Artif as well? Wasn't it? He was already there. I believe. Yeah, he went to Antalya, yeah. As well, so they've lost, you know, two of the their firepower people. <coughs> they also lost Musa Charan. Exactly. So I thought, okay, you know, they've they've lost some personnel, but they still uh, gave them a, a good game. I think the the, the penalty that's a stonewall penalty. He tried to pull his bloody shorts off um, to to go with, and there was a a couple of other potential penalty shouts um, that came up in the game where the ball hit uh, uh, Sivas player, well, the Rizzo players. It hit them on the arm. But I think this new hand, this new hand ball law is going to confuse a lot of people. But when the ball hit them, their their arm was in a natural position, and it wasn't the arm moving towards the ball. It was the ball being played and hitting the arm. Now I was under the impression that any ball that hits the arm is a is a penalty. But maybe that is any ball that hits an arm that is in an unnatural position is a penalty. So that might need some more clarification and, and looking into from us. But looking at the EFAB rules, it looks like that that was a correct call. But there were some dubious ones that were potentially weren't given, which we'll talk about a little bit later, I'm sure. But it's a sport. I think, again, they're going to have a, a decent season. It's going to be hard to play against them at home. I just think they might struggle if they start to pick up some injuries and suspensions. So I don't think the people coming off the bench are as good quality as they're starting it in. Yeah, so far not showing any signs of, uh, of of being weakened too much by those departures. I mean, Vedat Mohic obviously a huge departure. I think Atif's departure, they, they replaced him pretty well with Fernando Baldwin, who's of course a quality player too. Um, and yeah, Mustafa Al-Kabir now out injured. That's uh, that's uh, unfortunate for them. Uh, and that may have to do with uh, some of the news we have later because Rizespor are in the market for another striker. Let's move over to the next match though before uh, we get to transfer stuff. We're not going to spoil anything yet. Trabzonspor beat Malatya Spor at home 2-1 following their 1-1 draw in week 1 against Kasim Pasha. Now they get the 3 points. Abdulkadir Umur putting the hosts ahead in the 45th minute off of an incredible, uh, incredibly well uh, taken uh, cross by Jose Sosa who else the maestro of Trabzonspor. And then uh, it was Joa Pereira in the 78th minute who made it 2-0 to Trabzonspor. Very little, uh, neat little uh, layback pass by, um, I don't remember exactly what it was. Was it Omur or was it someone else? Uh, but Joa Pereira basically started up an attack, passed the ball into uh, somebody on, on, on the right and immediately received it back by a little back pass. And uh, yeah, finished it well, 2-0, but then uh, Ennis... 
But then Eren Tuzlu made it interesting for a couple more minutes in the 89th minute, scoring for Yeni Malatya Spor. But ultimately, Trabzonspor managed to keep the three points at home and put themselves now on four points, two points away from the early leaders in the league, which of course include Fenerbahce, Rizespor, uh, and a couple of others. So, uh, yeah, Trabzonspor was an important win for them. A little disappointing, disappointed probably last week, not getting the win against Kasim Pasha. I think a team they probably should be beating. Uh, those are two points that could potentially end up being expensive because there's not a, not a team that they want to be dropping points against right now, I think. Uh, but they get the job done here, uh, of course, coming off of their European adventure in, in Athens as well. Uh, Burak, were you surprised by a Trabzonspor's uh, win? Uh, not not at all. I think that, like I say, they're a, they'll probably be easily top three this season. The Trabzonspor, even though they have lost Yusuf Yazaji, they still have an excellent front line. And they also still have Daniel Sturridge to come into that front line as well. So... Um, Abdul Qadir Ermuz, like I say, great header. He ate a falcon punch afterwards, but didn't seem to phase him. He got up and continued on with his game. Um, obviously interested in this because we played him next week in Istanbul. I did find we've alluded to it earlier their defence isn't isn't the best, um, especially on set pieces, and that's essentially that's where the Manchester sport of goal came from was a set piece that wasn't defended, the the ball wasn't rushed out to. Uh, I still don't know if they're using a zonal system or a man-to-man system, but I think Vedat will give their defence a lot of trouble in the air if we can get the ball crossed into him. So that is why also I'd like to see Farida and Dennis play because you've seen that Farida can cross the ball and hopefully Dennis can get his uh, crossing boots on. Um, but no, it wasn't a surprise for me to see them beat Malacha Sport. I think Malacha Sport may struggle this season and but I don't think they are going to be candidates for, for relegation, but I think they'll finish bottom half of the table. Um, but I think as long as they can keep players like Mina Fitz, who was quite a rock, um, I think there was a potential penalty shout with him on Ekuban. And I think that was just a, a shoulder to shoulder, yeah. muscular movement. Mm-hmm. Up, not like Igazaji, <laughs> which we'll talk about later, where it was pretty much um, a spear, like like Edge or Goldberg. Um, that <laughs> saw the penalty given away. But no, um, rest up, Trabzon, and let's have it next weekend, sunshine. Yeah, but, uh, what did you think? Uh, Malatya Sport didn't look too bad to me. I think I, I expected them to struggle, uh, but they got a win last week, of course, against Bashakshir 3-0, and, and now they lose, but with their heads held high against uh, what we think early on will be a title contender. Malatya Sport looking okay, I think, that those early European matches don't seem to have cost them yet. Uh, and as for Trabzonspor, they do what expe- is expected of them. Um, any uh, observations from you? Well, uh, as well as Malatya Spor is a great team, uh, it's not really as easy as it looks to play against Trabzonspor because they are really a, a great team uh, right now. They're in a great shape and they're playing really fast and eager to win in these games. And uh, what I saw uh, that Abdul Kadir Ömer slowly becoming the main man after Yusuf Yazıcı's departure, and he is slowly uh, showing br- brilliant performances. And I'm amazed every time I watch him. He's brilliant with his feet, really agile and quick on the ball. And as well as he's 
with the ball. He's also quite smart off the ball. We saw that his run to the back post uh, in the goal, which is quite rare for a player of his height. He was at the right place at the right time and a great delivery from Jose Sosa, which is his like trademark assists, which we saw uh, in his previous years. It was a great goal from him and he uh, he's really impressing currently. And a uh, second goal came from uh, Pereira uh, after his run into the box uh, uh, in the attack, uh, which is an assist from Yusuf Sarre. Uh, and he's right. a new player as well and showing really great was a performances really good early on. Yeah, it was a really, really yeah. good assist. I mean, not... not you would think not too difficult, but it's, it's he put it perfectly where it had to be, and I couldn't remember who it was, but now I do remember exactly because last week you did say that he looked a little bit nervous, um, but I think here that was a very composed and very well thought out assist, and that's a great little get they got there. Uh, another good Yusuf for Trabzonspor. I completely agree with you on Abdul Qadir Umar as well. Like before, when he was playing together with Yusuf, I was always more of a Yusuf fan. But you can see now that Omar is playing more in a central role, and, and he can he has a little bit more freedom in where he can uh, roam. Yeah, you can, he's finally uh, he, this is where yeah where he belongs. This guy is a real deal. Um, yeah, he was like a second player where uh, when Yusuf Yazici was playing, but right now he's uh, currently has the wheel uh, with his hands, and uh, really great to see him acting that way. Yeah, I re I'm really curious to see him next week against Fenerbahce, the big rivals. How is he going to stand up? Last year, of course, he had that really, really good assist on Yusuf Yazici in Kadikoy, that lofted little pass over the defense where Yusuf scored, but that, that, that pass was so sublime. Uh, so I'm really curious to see if he's going to stand up because that's what's going to come down to next week. We know Fenerbahce have a good attacking force already. We know Trabzonspor have a big attacking force. But with Trabzonspor, what it's always come down to, I think, at the big moments, they tend to you know, choke a little bit. Uh, we saw it last year. I think they had a good chance for the title had they won on match day 18 against Bashakshir and they completely choked there. I felt like, okay, the referee made some bad calls, but they also just seem to come up short themselves. And I'm, I'm very curious in seeing if this Trabzonspor now, they, they do have plenty of maturity in combination with that youthly enthusiasm and talent. It's going to be very important to see if Trabzonspor can cope with the environment of Kadikoy, uh, with Fenerbahce's form, a good Fenerbahce, not like last season where they were playing a Fenerbahce on the ropes. Now they're playing against a, a, a very capable and a probably big rival for the title this season. So it's going to be... I'm, I'm just I'm looking really forward to that match. It's going to reveal a little bit. Not everything, of course, but for either side, it's going to show a lot. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it ends in a draw. I think that would be a good result for both teams in the sense that it won't damage their morale but obviously a win for either team would be huge and would give them a massive massive boost heading into uh, the international break the Trabzonspor here get the job done do what they have to do heading into next week's match in Kadikoy and it's gonna be uh, finger licking good I think now before we go over to the Galatasaray match I want to end on that one on Sunday so I'm gonna quickly go to Antalya against Denizli Spor first because Denizli Spor get their second win since their nine-year absence in the Super League. Of course, last week they beat Galatasaray, but now they did the same thing in Antalya, and they went and, win, and won 
Um, same scoreline as last week, of course. Bahadir Öztürk scoring an own goal in the 37th minute, but that came off of uh, an Aisati cross that got deflected. Uh, so uh, credit to Aisati there. And then uh, that was in the, the 37th minute, by the way. And then Madhu Boro, who we spoke about last week as well, and he's made a good impression again here, 67 minutes, I guess, on the score sheet. And then we also had an Atif Sheshu missed penalty uh, for the home team for Antalya Spor. And uh, the second week in a row that Adam Strakowiak saves a penalty. So maybe more credit to the Polish goalkeeper rather than discrediting Atif here. And then Spor, a little bit of a cheeky win, I'd say. I, I, didn't, I didn't really think they look particularly impressive um but they get three points could be three golden points heading into the season you never know how much uh, they're going to struggle down the road but they get off on an amazing start six points uh umut were you at all surprised by the newly support continuing their winning ways early on so uh yeah well as we mentioned before uh, uh in the first week antalya sport was also in a bad shape uh, and uh, but they really got away lucky goal from Diego but this time they crashed because they were also similar to Gustape and uh, having some really hard time creating chances and uh, having some uh, really old players like Charles and Sardar Ruskan uh, it's really hard to create chances and slow build up and as for Denizlispor, sport they have a really good player uh, scorer uh, Hugo Rodallega uh, uh, scoring chances which is uh, really important for them but this time uh, it was a surprise that Barrow scored a Robin-esque goal uh, from cutting from right to left scoring to the top corner uh, and they were uh, going on uh, impressing everyone uh, and making two out of two that, that, that Barrow guy, he looks quality. Looks like a, a, a nice new revelation in the Super League. Uh, I'm not sure how old he is, but uh, wouldn't be surprised to see uh, him get picked up uh, next summer or so by by a bigger club. Uh, looks good so far. And then he's just for... Sorry? 26. 26. Mm, okay. Maybe a little late for big move then. Uh, you know, maybe this is how it goes to season. I mean, if we say if we say that the first goal for Dennis was lucky because of the deflection, uh, the second was complete the opposite, or like a howitzer of a strike that was. As uh, I was listening to the commentary, it sounded like the Turkish commentator was going Varol. Obviously, he was trying to say Baro in his accent, but I was like Varol, Varol, Varolan. It's like what a what a hit that was. Um, but also the penalty that was saved by uh, the Dennis the keeper from Artif, his foot come off the line before Artif struck the ball as well, and, and that happened. One foot or two, because both need to come off. I believe. Oh, that's a good point actually. No, I think for one of them, one of them, I think it was a Gaza Shihan match, which you're going to get to later. Mm. Both feet were off the off, off the the line. But it makes me wonder how often that rule is going to be actually enforced this season in the Super League. And, I think that's and why they stuff. changed it because it's, I, I believe that's a change for this season as well. That yeah. one foot needs to remain on the on the line. And as, as for the penalty, then you know that against a Stonewall penalty that um, awarded. Yeah, I think it just shows that that Denizli are here to to play, and I'm going to be interested in seeing how they get on in the 
rest of this first half of the season to see if they can keep up this form. Yeah, and I kind of feel sorry for uh, Besiktas' lonely, lonely sit at uh, Scheinter because uh, I was hoping he would get some minutes. He had two good seasons at Balikisir in uh, the second division, scored a decent amount of goals, had a good season. It's kind of like a younger version of uh, Oljai Shan, maybe, but I believe Oljai signed with uh, Denizli Sport 2 last week or the week before, and uh, Barrow is on great form. I don't know if uh, Sedat's going to get a lot of minutes there. Uh, Denizli Sport, yeah. Uh, six points, great start to the season. But, you know, sometimes you see that with newly promoted sides where they do get a really good start uh, to the season, but then they kind of slow down and, and they do still get in trouble. So we'll have to wait and see. Jury's still out on the Nidli Spore, uh, like Umut pointed out too. Antalya Sport thus far haven't looked too impressive. But a great start for Denizli and uh, Antalya, no problem for them. They already got a win last week, so... Let's move over to uh, the main event on Sunday. That was Galatasaray hosting Konya Spor. And just like last season, this ended in a 1-1 draw. Last season, this match was uh, completely engulfed in controversy, of course, due to the... Um, or engulfed, I should say, by controversy due to the penalty, the late penalty that Konya Spor got in that match that... The, the late penalty that Konya Spor got in that match that should have never been a penalty... Uh, this season again, maybe not controversy. A lot of controversy after the match, maybe a little bit of a polemic created by, I believe, TRT when they were uh, broadcasting the highlights of the match or started their program or whatever, where they said, oh, you know, ne yaziki galtsai puankai beto or something, and uh, Konya Sport took a little offense to that, but uh, which is understandable. But this match ending one-one, Galtsai getting. The scoring started here in the 68th minute through Ryan Babel scoring uh, on his debut at the Turk Telecom Arena for Galatasaray. Not, of course, his debut for Galatasaray, but at home. Scoring uh, in the 68th minute, a deflection off of a defender that ended up beating Serkan Kirintle, who had just made a really big save right before that and looked like he was having a great game again. Um, then a red card for John Mikael Seri, the new signing in the 74th minute, kind of turned the match around because uh, in the sixth minute of added time, Konyaspor got the equalizer to through Jens Jonsson. Lots of things going wrong for Galtzrai. I think the main thing was they were having a decent game, creating chances, creating pressure. In the first half, there wasn't a lot of goal-scoring opportunities, but early on in the second half, Galatasaray came out looking on fire, had three really good opportunities before they ended up scoring. But then as soon as they did score, Umut, it kind of felt like they set back even before they went down to 10 men. They didn't seem too interested in uh, expanding their lead. What was going on with Galatasaray here? Well, firstly, there's a lot to be said about Galatasaray's ridiculous gameplay against Konyaspor. I should say I was expecting Salchkinan to be Belhanda's replacement as he was missing. And, however, Fatirim preferred Fegli on that position before the game, which I believe was the first mistake in the game. Because watching the game, I have seen Fegli always next to the touchline on the right flank. Even though he was listed as a right central central midfielder on the team formation, he was never at the central position during the whole game he has played. Uh, that was one of the main reasons Galatasaray failed to be effective coming from the central to become a real threat for the position. Because as Fegli came to the right flank uh, time and time again, 
Emre Moore, which I always question is game knowledge uh, because he didn't know where to go or where to stay since Fagui really came to his position time and time again. And he also didn't expect this and in invade his own space. And all of a sudden, uh, Fagui, Mariano and Emre Moore all together on the right-hand side of the beach Uh, like a chaos on there and bubble going inside of the box and team formation on the field became re uh, really bad shape during the first half and Nagatomo was left all alone on the left side and the, all the last actions uh, were left to him and his lack of talent and creativity caused uh, the attacks to die at the end and return empty-handed. Yeah, and uh, Konyaspor had a couple of opportunities. I believe they did come over that left, w uh, well, right wing for them, but Nagatomo's side uh, early on in the ha in, in the first half because we didn't see much of Konyaspor later on. Um, but like you pointed out, Babel maybe leaving a little bit of a void there. But I do think Babel was probably one of the better players on the pitch. Um, Emre Moore, what did you think about him except for the fact that he didn't really know how to cope with Figuli invading his personal space, so to speak? What did you think of, of his performance here? Does he look like someone that's, that should be starting over, for example, a Yunus Agün, who is a highly touted talent? Well, uh, I think uh, Emre should be, uh, as a sub, uh, should be waiting as a substitute for the uh, next plan, uh, if Gus right take the upper hand in the game uh, because uh, our bench isn't quite, uh, quite as quality as people think it, as it is uh, and we should have the uh, Emre Moore kind of players waiting uh, there to make a decisive substitution uh, in the occasions and uh, also Mbaya Jagne the man uh, was really in a bad shape since the season started looks really weak during the aerial duels and the battles and even though he's a tall and a strong guy and he was a huge disappointment during the game as he failed to get into any kind of opportunity uh, however i really think it was a mistake that Fatih Terim decided to take Jagne off during the final minutes of the game where Selçuk 9 came in. This caused Konyaspor to strengthen their pressure around our box. And it occurred yeah. without Jagne. Uh, Galatasaray couldn't find anybody to hold the ball up in yeah. the front line. To There was no way to alleviate the pressure without yeah, a, a yeah. target man to... kind yeah. of pressure. And at the end, the in in inevitable happened. The Konyaspor game, uh, goal came at the final minute from Jens Jonsson. A like a deflection from Ryan Donk. Uh, happened and and it's kind of ironic because in the, that was kind of the image in the first half I felt like where Konyaspor were just booting it up the field without anyone to hold on to the ball yeah Riyad Baic was there but he was being completely physically dominated by Louis Ndama anytime he came close um, and that's kind of what you were saying here too where in the last couple of minutes instead of leaving Diagne on to have someone there to, to contest for those high balls when you're booting it up the field trying to keep the you know keep Konyaspor at bay a little bit longer uh, and also ironic is that both goals came to be two two lucky deflections i think I mean, earlier we spoke about uh, the deflection from Aisatis uh, cross but that was that's more like a forced error 
I feel like so I, I didn't I don't think I called it lucky I think Buat called it lucky but I didn't really feel like that was actually a lucky goal because there, there you're forcing the defender to take action it's kind of the same way I guess you could say here but I think these are t more like pinball deflections where th these were a lot luckier I think especially maybe the, the Jens Jonsson one because that just perfectly falls in front of his feet in a perfect position and at first I thought offside but then of course, in replay, it was very clear that Nagatoma lifted the offside. Uh, so absolutely no uh, chance of that. And uh, yeah, at the end of the day, at least no controversy. Fatih Terum was very... Uh, had a lot of praise for the referee after the match, actually. I don't know if it was uh, maybe a little bit backhanded. I didn't feel like it. It felt genuine. He said the referee had a good game. Um, although I think that red card for Siri, that was pretty obvious shouldn't have needed far for that Burak what did you think of uh, this match the red card was at the major turning point or do you think that there were other issues I think Kunisbor should have had a penalty I think we've seen the, the position slowed down the ball comes into the box hits Chagnon on the wrist the ball changes direction and I, to me that's a clear handball it's a clear violation of the law and as you know I'm a man of the law and that should have been a penalty to Konya I think the two goals were both just very bitty, shitty goals. The babble deflection, and like you just said, the the Kunisbor, it just pinballed around and fell to John Johnson, who finished it well, to be fair. But the way it got to him was the the famous Brazilian bobble that always happens when you're playing FIFA or ISS, and the ball just bobbles and bounces into the player's path. I just think Galatasaray looked a little bit lackluster. I'm not sure if this Falcao situation is affecting players on and off the pitch and their, their mentality, their ability to be able to concentrate. Uh, King Kong Jagner is flattered to deceive ever since he signed. Uh, he just doesn't look interested. I think Ozer was alluding to it a lot with his, his body language. He doesn't seem to, to want it. Uh, so if you see a, a Vedat Muric for example, he, he's running his bollocks off for the whole 90 minutes. He's looking to make something happen. And you can see in his eyes that he, he's hungry and he has a desire to play football. And, and Jagnet is a little bit more relaxed. Um, he does put in a little bit of running from time to time, but it's almost like a, a slow jog before he then decides where he's going to be taking his private jet to with his four wives. So I think Galtzai have some problems but there is still some time left in the transfer window for them to alleviate them. So we'll just have to wait and see what's going to happen. Is Falgar Cal going to come? Is he not going to come? Uh, where is Belhanda? Um, is he actually being operated on? Or is there something else afoot? But I thought Konya were good good for their point. Um, I just got I really should have followed up and finished it off after the 1-0. But as you've both said, they just seem to take their foot off the gas a little bit for reasons I can't put my finger on. So it's not a, a great start to the season for them, but we are just two games in and there's still time left in the transfer window. So watch this space. Yeah, last season we, we had plenty of moments where we said that and they're out of it and they ended up winning the title. Exactly. So uh, let, exactly. never count out uh, Fatih Terum's Galtzrai until they're mathematically out of it. Or until like it's actually clear. But, uh, anyway, yeah, no penalty or no penalty. For me, that was not a penalty. Um, I don't think it's clear because you don't see clear contact. There's something that appears like a deflection, but I've zoomed in on it like really closely 
with my phone. Yeah, but we yeah, but uh, we know your like your eyesight. We know your eyesight is shit. Yes. Well, okay, but still. <laughs> I don't think there's a clear deflection from his arm. I think there's something that appears like a deflection, but I think it's just the, the trajectory of the ball that just, yeah, poorly timed there. And you also see, like, he's got his arm next to his body, and when that, you do see that he's, like, thinking of, oh, maybe I should... But then he, like, pulls back, puts his arm behind his body. I mean, the the rule is if the, the arm is in an unnatural position that's... Uh, make no if the arm is in a position that makes the body unnaturally bigger I, I really don't think it applied here because the arm was next to his body um yeah for me that was not a penalty because the the contact wasn't clear to me uh you just don't see a clear touch i yeah no i don't think it's a penalty you know i i'd, I'd love to say it was obviously but for me, that's not a penalty. Uh, Umut, how do you feel about uh, this high? This well, this this position was talked about quite a lot, and mainly in, mainly in social media. I felt like uh, they didn't pay too much attention to it in the the post match programs. But yeah, yeah, I think uh, uh, at the time I was in the stands, uh, couldn't see what happened during the time, but then I saw the videos uh, for the position, and which I could say. Uh, Jagne was uh, Jagne had his hands tied behind his back, but he was uh, moving around uh, to uh, move the ball with his body, which I think is a really clear penalty. So you thought it was a penalty? Yes, because at first uh, I was thinking he was hiding his hands to avoid any contact, but uh, mm-hmm. he made a clear contact. Uh, and also, uh, in addition, uh, speaking of Falcao, uh, in the game there wasn't a decisive opportunity which you can call uh, that uh, ah, if Falcao was there, Galatasaray would have scored uh, because the main problem uh, Galatasaray had was uh, they were unable to create any variety in their attacking play after Belhanda's absence on the pitch, which I can clearly say shows what kind of an important role he has on the build-up and chance creation, uh, even though he is really underrated on the pitch. Yeah, you highlighted that several times last year already. Belhanda is an important player for Galatasaray, whether people appreciate him or not. It, it, it becomes apparent every time he doesn't play. Once again, highlighted here, I think, as well. Um, maybe another player in his position could do a better job, but Galatasaray don't have an alternative because Emre Agbaba is, of course, out for a long time still. Um, so, yeah, Figuli played there, not his natural position, like you said, drifted out wide. John Mick, Michael Series, red cards. Um, anything to, to say? Umut, you, you, of course, were in the stands. You didn't really see what happened. I sent you the video, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you know. I saw... Uh Yevtovich was uh, on the ground at the time, uh, really in pain. Uh, Dan saw the video, which is a clear red card from me, because uh, at first the ref uh, gave a yellow on the play, and then uh, after the war review, uh, he changed it to a direct red, uh, which I think uh, is uh, going to cost him two games Minimum, in a row. Yeah. Minimum, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, so uh, Galatasaray will be having uh, some issues on the midfield as well, as well as the Jagne situation. Okay, so I've been overruled to say 
yay, I say nay, but penalty uh, according to these two gentlemen. And of course, red card was correct. So it could have even been worse for Galtry. 1-1 one, one in the end seems like a favorable result for Konyaspor, but you never know if they get a penalty, if they convert it, what happens. Uh, Galtry could struggle even more, even though I I did feel like the goal was inevitable for Galtry. And like I said, they did. I did also feel like they took the, the foot off the gas pedal after the goal. Maybe that if they would have equalized, obviously they would have had to push for uh, a winning goal because last week didn't end well, so they couldn't afford to lose points here. Um, so I think then it would have been different. Uh, could have been different. I'm not saying it would have been. Um, but yeah, Galtry with a poor start to the season with just one point out of two games. They have still plenty uh, of, of, of worries uh, as well and, and work to do on the transfer market and don't have all that much time left because I do believe uh, by this yeah this time next week um, the transfer window will be shut so they have less than a week to go. Um, I believe at Monday at midnight it's, it's over. Uh, on, on the second, or is it until the second of September? Um, is the does the second? I know it's until the second, but does the second of September still count, or does it end at yeah, twelve o'clock on the second of December? I'm not hundred percent sure on that. I don't think either of you are either. So let's move over uh, to the final match of uh, this match day. Gazi Shihir playing against Sherbali. This one ended in a 4-1 trashing to against Sherbali. Gazi Shihir rebounding from their respective trashing at the hands of Gal uh, at the hands of Fenerbahce last week. Um, they get back with a win. Uh, well, the first ever win, officially speaking, in the Super League, of course. And uh, it came to fruition due to a red card uh, for Ahmed Ouz in the 27th minute against Sherbali down to 10 men. Uh, and then it was uh, Koyade who scored the opening goal in the 32nd minute. Then a second red card uh, for against Sherbali for Pierre-Yves Poloma in the 39th minute. That also resulted in a penalty. Koyade stepping up. Uh, Koyode, sorry, stepping up for that penalty spot kick and uh, converted in the 40th minute. Then Guray Vural made it 3-0 in the second half in the 56th minute. Beret Eiberg Uzdimir managed to pull one back for Gensterbeli in the 69th minute. But three minutes later, Oz Jalan put the final scoreline on the scoreboard. 4-1 to Gazi Shihir and they uh, get their first ever win, like I said, in the Super League. And... Uh, Scratched that nil of the board against Cherbali now with two losses. Didn't look too bad last week, I felt like, against Antalya, I believe it was, but had that uh, yeah sloppy goal. But now two red cards. It's going to be difficult for them. Oz, uh, Ahmed Oz is an important player for them. They already had uh, a player suspended here because I got a red card last week, of course, too. So that's three red cards in two games. Maybe a little bit of a disciplinary issue. Uh, Burak, I know you looked into both red cards closely. Uh, what was your feeling on the first one? Was that a correct one or was that a shoulder charge? And then the second one, uh, which was also a penalty, how did you feel about that? I thought the first one was a clear red card. It was a clear goal-scoring opportunity. It was the shoulder charge body check that he took the guy down. I think he had no intention of playing the ball whatsoever. He clearly knew what he was doing against that bearded player. And I thought the red card was the correct decision. Um, the second one for the penalty initially it was uh, given as offside wasn't it um, I believe and then they they brought it back and said hang on the 
position was onside when it was played forward. And the way that the Gaza Chicken player was taking out, taken out by the against Abbey play, it's almost like he's if he had to run up. And I mentioned it, it was like almost like a shoulder tackle that you it's more akin to you'd see in a wrestling ring, like a shoulder tackle takedown. The guy flew on the on the floor and it's a definite penalty, but as as we know, it's that's not a red card, it's um it's a yellow. You've given the penalty, so there's no further punishment needed. So the red card was incorrect. Yeah, no, I think it's only it by the, the law. Yeah, I, I looked at the Is law. Right? Yeah, I don't know. I looked at the, the, the revision of the law in 2016, which uh, uh, omitted uh, accidental falls uh, from resulting in a red yeah. card. I don't know if you if there was an, another update to the rule that you have in front of you by any chance. But um, uh, not that I can see, and that was that was definitely not an accidental foul. He yeah. he literally it was like Hacksaw Jim Duggan back in the old <laughs> days. Um, oh. St- Oh, he just like ran into him with no intention of playing the ball, but to actually just shoulder barge him over. And I wonder how many people. Oh, sorry to interrupt, but I wonder how many people get these corny ass American wrestling references we make sometimes. Well, you make, and I. Yeah. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I just uh, pour oil on the on the fire. Indeed, if if you get them, do let us know. Um, we we try not to make them too often, but in in this case, it's a perfect example of of that exactly what's happening no intention to play the ball not accidental so but you know it shouldn't be a red card because that's the law which I think is stupid anyway I think you know what, what's the point in no the, but it should it should because the, the law is if it's an accidental fall it should be a yellow but if it's a it's an intentional fall it's still a red that is it. Then obviously, yeah, I, that's how I read it yeah. earlier. I, I looked it up just to be sure, uh, but I, yeah. It, but uh, maybe next week we'll have to retract it. Who knows? Um, <laughs> exactly. Then we, if you can correct us, send us a proper source for your correction, and we will rectify it next week. Do. And if you find any other uh, errors, feel free. And if it's noteworthy enough, we will mention it next week. And if it's not, well, then you're just an ant. You know what? Exactly. Uh, Umut disciplinary issues for against Terribly three red cards in two weeks. Um, yeah, not not looking good for them in that regard. Uh, football quality wise, they they don't seem to be too bad, but those red cards uh, are going to keep costing them. They need to fix that. Well, I don't actually think it's a disciplinary issue because uh, there are some kind of uh, awkward situations where you cannot avoid uh, which. Uh, I believe was happened to Galatasaray in two weeks as well. Uh, we have received two red cards in uh, two games in a row, uh, similar to that. And uh, the offside call in the second red card, which was taken away, was almost the same as what happened in the Başakşehir Fenerbahçe game. Uh, at the VAR review, they were looking at the, if there was a second contact after the ball was played. Uh, to the receiver and after they made sure it there was no contact they reverted the call and gave the penalty and red card uh, and uh, playing with nine players uh, on the majority of the game is a really frustrating and hard to play and Genshtarberli couldn't help but losing the game for one yeah, let's uh, end on that note for against Sherbourne the final match of uh, the the second match day. So uh, an emphatic win for Gazice here, big win for them. Against Sherbourne second defeat in a row. That'll do it for uh, match day two. Let's do some 
gossip. Let's talk about some transfers. Uh, not necessarily a gossip uh, straight away because we will start with some uh, official stuff. Ricardo Quaresma has been requested to leave Besiktas to find himself a new club. He got eight days to do so. And, and in the meantime, that has already been reduced to, uh, I don't know, six days or so. So Ricardo Quaresma asked to leave um, and, and find himself a new club. If he does not, he will have to train at Fulia for the remainder of the season, stay, train with the youth team or something, can train with, with the A team. Um, so they're basically trying to force him out of the door. Um, long servant of the club, but it has become painfully apparent that his level is just not where it needs to be anymore. And uh, some rumors, Bashakshi here supposedly interested, Kasim Pasha supposedly interested, but nothing concrete so far. Um, yeah, looks like uh, Kurejma will either be joining another club or he will not feature this season in a competitive match. Uh, understandable decision by Besiktas or is it a little late in the window you guys feel? I think maybe um, well I think you've got uh, George and Kundu who can operate on, on the wing um, I think it's good for Besiktas to just uh, get rid of him <clears throat> I know you haven't been a fan for a while now and I think it's just good to going to be good to get him out and have a new lease of life into the team whoever that might be maybe a little bit too late to get a replacement, but you never know. Besiktas have been making some uh, good under the radar signings lately. Yeah, that wasn't necessarily the man in charge. Sorry, you cut out, and I thought you stopped talking. No, no. <laughs> See, and that's why I interrupt you sometimes because then you you cut out, and I'm like, oh, he's done, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> you're not. <laughs> no, man, oh. you just got rubbish into. No, but, uh, so, but that's not actually what I, I. It's not actually what I was really meaning to say. Is is too late for Besiktas? I think it's more like is it too late for for Quaresma? Obviously, I think Besiktas early on and you know at the end of the last season it was kind of like well you know what we don't really want to continue with him. He can look for a new club, but he insisted on um, trying to convince Avci. He wanted to take his chance and. In my opinion, he, he got his chance. He played in almost every friendly in the training camp. Uh, and he played in the opening match day. And the result was the same. I, I, I think he was poor in the friendly matches. He was poor in the first match day against... Uh, he wasn't the only one, of course, against Sivaspor. But, yeah, I think he got what he wanted, which was a chance. Because one of the big criticisms that has come is that, well, Besiktas should have done this two months ago. But actually, they did. And Quaresma, you know, wanted his opportunity to, uh, to 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 fight for a spot in the team. And at the end of the day, he's a, he's a big earner at the club. Besiktas want to cut expenses, want to cut the wages. It's an understandable decision on their part. Um, maybe the way they went about it, I, I I didn't think it was particularly tasteful that that news got broken like a day or two before. Quaresma was actually asked to uh, to find himself a new club, or officially he announced it two days later. I think Sergeant Dikme of Beas TV announced it like a day or two earlier, and Quaresma took a screen capture of his uh, tweet and, and said, this is fake news. Two days later, it turned out not to be. It's a little bit unfortunate that a journalist finds this out before the player actually does, if that was how it happened. Uh, maybe Quaresma already knew, but was still in denial. I don't know, but... Seems a little meh. Umut, uh, what do you think is, is logical for Besiktas, who are clearly trying in a, in a position where they're cutting ties with, with a lot of the old guard and, and moving on with a new generation? 
Yeah, yeah, it's definitely logical because you need to get rid of old players uh, because uh, uh, you'll fall uh, back playing with those players and you need eager players like Enkudu and Tyler Boyd uh, who really has a lot to prove, a lot to show uh, and uh, playing with those kind of players, you have more chances and possibilities to win more games. And talking on that note about older players, Gary Medel of Besiktas is officially moving on from the club. He has not yet been announced actually by Bologna, so it's not 100% official yet. But he did say goodbye to his teammates this morning in training. Uh, and uh, he is off to Italy. He is joining Serie A side Bologna on a 1.5 million euro transfer fee, Besiktas will receive 1.25 million and an additional 250,000 in bonuses is what's being reported by Ortak Chizgi, who is uh, the most reliable source when it comes to Besiktas. Um, yeah, Gary Medel, big earner as well, 2.3 million a year, one of the, the biggest earners in the team. 32 years old, not really fitting the role as a defensive midfielder that, that Avci wants to play with the type of defensive midfielder. He's an ankle biter. He's not somebody who can build up the game, and that's what Avci wants. So he didn't fit into that role. I thought he was a very serviceable backup central defender. I always think he does a really good job at, at, the, at that position. He's a good central defender. Unfortunately, he lacks height. Uh, and that's the same, uh, the same conclusion they came to at Inter, where he was always underwhelming for them at, at the defensive midfielder because obviously for a big club who are expected to dominate the game they expect more from a defensive midfielder whereas Medel the role that he had at Chile was always that of, of, of somebody chasing down the ball and being a little bit of an ankle biter not somebody who's being relied on for the build-up but when you're playing for a Besiktas in Inter Milan, Fenerbahce Galtribe, you know, Trabzonspor as a defensive midfielder you're also expected to do more than just you know, try and capture the ball, run after your opponent, but you're also expected to play forward passes and to assist in the build-up play, the transition from defense to attack. It's something that Medel just isn't that good at, so it's also why at Inter they prefer him as central defender. I think a team like Bologna is more suitable for him. I think he'll, he can still do a good job there as a central defensive midfielder or wherever they decide to use him. He's a utility player, good footballer, uh, but his time at Besiktas was, was also... Uh, this was time to move on, I think. Although he still has plenty to offer for sure, still as Chile's captain and also, Besiktas get some money for him, offload the big wage, uh, a player who's in the final year of his contract. Any of you have anything to add to that? I think it's pretty. You know. No, bye bye, Gary. <laughs> Bye bye Gary indeed and thank you for everything uh, as a Besiktas fan. Uh, the next news item, Adil Rami has signed for Fenerbahce on a 1 plus 1 year deal. He will be earning 2 million a year so if he decides to extend uh, or if Fenerbahce decides to extend rather. He is coming from uh, Olympique de Marseille where he basically got uh, shown the door a couple of months ago after a little bit of controversy where he uh, claimed to be injured and then went on to uh, a, a French TV show to mud wrestle or something. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think if you're injured you can actually do any physical activities on TV. So at first I thought it was just a talk show, and then I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, you can you can talk when you're when you're injured. That shouldn't be an issue. But apparently he was 
on French TV to mud wrestle. So uh, Marseille didn't take too kindly to that, cut him from the team and then uh, dissolved this contract at the end of the season. Fenerbahce signed him now on a freebie. Of course, a World Cup win with France was part of the team, didn't play a single minute, but was there. Uh, and uh, was an, apparently an important uh, player in the dressing room uh, for, for the atmosphere. So that's a positive, I guess. Um, he also has a lot of negative connotations uh, associated, a lot of negativity associated with his name, of course, and due to his uh, relationship or ex-relationship with uh, Pamela Anderson, where supposedly he uh, beat her and stuff like that, but it has nothing to do with football. Um, let's talk about the footballer, Adil Rami. Burak, first you. Good signing for Fenerbahce. What do you think? Uh, good signing, good character. Um, league winner with Lille, uh, Europa League winner with Seville, and like you say, squad member of the World Cup winning French team, didn't play a single minute in the tournament, but the guy is a winner. He's won trophies at national team level, European level and club level. Um, he's still a very good defender on his day. How many of those days will he have at Fenerbahce? I cannot tell you, only time will tell. But he is a great uh, technical player uh, on the ball when starting the game, which is also very important for a defender, as we know, bringing it out from the back. And the guy's proven quality last, last season. He was in a bit of a bad place. So we'll see if the move to Istanbul uh, freshens him up and reignites his his love for playing football. Um, he's uh, Moroccan-French, so he's got a fellow French speaker in the team in Didas. So hopefully that will help him to to settle in. And he's got a good... He's coming into a team which has got a lot of positive energy right now. So that could rub off onto him. And if it could reignite him to recapture some of that form he, he showed in Euro 2016 and in those uh, the Europa League winning season for, for Seville and whilst he was at Marseille as well, um, he will always pop up with a goal or two for you as well. And I think he the character is going to be very good for, for Ferrar. And he was, he was free. And he's not on a lot of, he's not a massive earner either. So free transfer, there's been no signing fee, I believe. Um, Two million a year, reasonable salary with the option to extend. Um, Should things go well, um, potentially could could extend it. But looking forward to seeing him play. Um, He's got a great beard and moustache as well, so... I am. I am happy. I'm yeah, happy with Adil Rami. A porn stash. Uh, Umut's a good signing for Fenerbahce. What do you think? Well, I know him from his Valencia times, uh, which was uh, his uh, good days, and he was a partner actually in the defense with Victor Ruiz at the time, which is a good trivial uh, thing uh, to know. And I think he will do good for Fenerbahce, which uh, I believe is a in a dire need of. Uh, central defensive play, uh, central defensive player, because right now they are covering out with uh, a jail son at, right now, and which is a, a risky thing to do. And I hope he does well. Uh, I spoke to uh, to uh, French uh, connoisseurs, French football connoisseurs. Uh, Jonathan Johnson, uh, who you may know from ESPN, he covers uh, Paris Saint Germain. Uh, he seems to think that Adil Rami is, is past it, uh, had his best days, not really uh, 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 
didn't really think that uh, this mind is still on football, I'd say. And very similar, what I heard from uh, Mohamed Ali, who uh, also who covers uh, Marseille, so uh, he knows, uh, up, he watched them up close, said, well, over the hill, past his uh, best days, and uh, not necessarily... Uh, the best of signings, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, maybe if he is motivated, and you know what, like Greg says, um, good team spirit already. The, the morale is high right now. He comes in a, a team that's going well. It, it could have a decent effect on him. And of course, Marseille is a chaotic club, uh, so it's it's sometimes it can be difficult, and it's not always easy to say. But two experts. Not too uh, high on this. Uh, they did say, uh, well, I did say, as a Johnson, by the way, on one of uh, Fenerbahce's uh, big targets, uh, Luis Gustavo, who's also 32, still very much a good player, he said, and that could be a really good signing for Fenerbahce and uh, end up getting him. So I uh, did uh, ask around a little bit, but uh, let's uh, stick with Fenerbahce because there's another news item that seems to recur every transfer window, Burak jokingly said off air. Uh, Hatem Ben Arfa being linked again to Fenerbahce right now, uh, according to the Gazeta dello Sport, and uh, something I said in our uh, group chat is that I always find it funny when these Italians uh, start talking about um, non-Italy-related transfers, and they always seem to get it wrong. Uh, but Hatem Bern Arfa supposedly on the radar of Fenerbahce for a three-year contract worth two and a half million a year. He's already 32 years old, so that I, I, I can't really imagine that Fenerbahce would uh, make that mistake when they have a, a wonder kid, like we say, Ferdi Cadiolo, in, in the pipeline, knocking on the door in that same position. Um, I don't think Hatem Bern Arfa is... a would be a good signing. I don't think it's a necessary signing. I'm not saying that he's a bad player. Obviously, he had a good season at Rennes, but Burak, what do you think? Uh, just media gossip, or do you think there's some truth to it? I would like to think it is media gossip, um, but Ben Arthur, he's another, he's another bit of a psycho, isn't he? And we seem to be building a, te- a team of them. So, if he comes, if he can get him for maybe like a one-plus-one one, uh, deal... Like we have done with uh, Rami, maybe around you know 1.52 million. Um, if we could afford him, I would say why not? Why not? It's just you know bring him in and see what he can do, see where he can play. Um, if you you're categorically asking me yes or no, I think it would be uh, a no. But if he does come, I'm not going to be cussing him out. I'm going to be supporting him fully. But right at this moment in time. I think another left-back and a central defensive midfielder is more what we need. And obviously there's still rumours of Luis Gustavo um, and every single left-back that you can possibly imagine that we're linked with. So, <laughs> Yeah, the Italian media are talking, uh, linking Riza Durmisi again uh, to a move to Fenerbahce. He was, of course, previously linked with Besiktas too. Um, but that's another one of those moves that, that that'll, he'll cost money. Uh, I know Lazio are not willing to let him go... F- Cheap, like yeah, four or five million, and I, that's Fenerbahce is simply not going to pay that because I think they want to keep the bulk of their uh, of their money from Elif, their Elif Elmas money. Uh, they want to keep that for for I think Luis Gustavo. They still have six and a half million left. Yep, I think they'll probably be wanting to spend at least four four and a half of that on on a central defensive midfielder, and then maybe see what's left. Um, so. Interesting week still, definitely Fenerbahce, there will be some activity there, and uh, I'm sure there'll be something to talk about next week when it comes to Fenerbahce. 
watch this space it's not going to be boring that's for sure <laughs> Uh, yeah, indeed, and uh, some uh, some news that's coming in right now as well. Um, Manuel Fernandez supposedly agreed a one plus one year deal with Besiktas, but uh, always credible and reliable source Murat Özcan of Ortaçizgi says as of right now there is no deal. Um, supposedly Manuel Fernandez isn't just in talks with Besiktas; he's in talks with Gazi Shehir and even with Galatasaray. Um, and according to Murat earlier, uh, the only club that have made a concrete offer is Gazi Shahir. They offered him a two million contract. Fernandez is supposedly looking to get at least a two plus one year deal out of it. Uh, he, of course, uh, got his uh, transfer rights in his own hands after leaving Lokomotiv Moscow a couple, uh, like a month ago or so. Um, so Manuel Fernandez on the radar for Besiktas potentially. For Gazi Shahir and for Galtzray, and you know what? Actually, I think Manuel Fernandez would be a good get for Galtzray, despite his age of 33. He had some great seasons in in Russia, uh, the last three especially. Um, I think when he played Galtzray last season in the Champions League, he 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 had real moments where it was really impressive. Um, still a really good footballer, of course. Would I want him back at Besiktas personally? Um, I wouldn't, you know, for those conditions that are being reported, which is one plus one years for one point one million a year, I would not say no to it as long as it doesn't come at the expense of a proper number six, uh, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, Umut, would you take him at Galatasaray right now, Manuel Fernandez? Well, uh, bec- uh, he conflicts. Uh, he conflicts with the idea of how I say in the previously. Uh, old players need to be get rid of so uh, right now we are in a need of a central pr- player as uh, who knows when Balhanda comes so right now he could be a good option for Galatasaray but uh, in the future uh, he may have uh, some issues about the wages and etc yeah, and it's it's like we always say with financial fair play. Uh, I'm like I'm I've said it before. I'm a proponent of financial fair play, but there are very clear negatives on financial fair play. Not so much that they're limiting clubs, that they're making clubs watch their spendings, and that they're preventing, or at least should be preventing uh, people, uh, board members, from throwing money and and, and you know clubs just buying at will for stuff they really can't afford but more so the fact that they're kind of forcing clubs like Fenerbahce Galatasaray Bishtis in the past not so not now but because they're not under financial fair play anymore but they're forcing these clubs to go for older players who are free uh, because they can't pay a transfer fee but they can pay a signing bonus which is completely counterintuitive I think if you can't pay a transfer fee you shouldn't be able to pay a transfer uh, a signing bonus either because it's essentially the same thing um, but what you see with that is that we see guys like for example Adil Rami becomes very interesting for Fenerbahce because he's a free agent they don't have to sell before they can buy him um, and that's the problem there where also we're seeing with, with Galtzrider signings this, this summer is lots of 30 plus year old players who are on a free because a 25-year-old player, a good quality 25-year-old player, is not going to be out of contract. That rarely happens. Usually when you've got decent quality players that are out of contract are guys who are 30 or approaching 30 who are looking for one last big contract. And that's usually one of the issues that you see with financial fair play, that basically these clubs are getting forced to go for older free agents. Because younger free agents usually aren't that good because they wouldn't be a free agent if they were. Um, 
So yeah, that's the thing with Manuel Fernandez. It's the thing with, for example, Ryan Babel. And I agree with with uh, what Umut says that we should be going for younger players. But as long as you're under financial fair play, it's just simply difficult. Um, Gazic here are uh, apparently an option for him. They seem to have offered two million a year. I don't know how can a club like Gazic here offer that. Uh, remember. Ishkishir offering those types of contracts had uh, Ruud Boffin at 1.8, Erkan Zengin at 1.8, really high wages uh, for those types of clubs. And then we see where Ishkishir are right now. I don't think a club like Gazishir should be doing that. If you look what happened to Gaziantep Spor, um, yeah, that's just history repeating itself, I guess. Um, but yeah, it will be interesting to see Manuel Fernandez come back. He's still a great football player, obviously, like... Umut says he's he's getting older, so he's a short-term fix. But that's what you get in financial fair play, is that you've got a lot of short-term fixes and not a lot of moves for the future. So let's talk about a potential move for the future. Besiktas are looking for number six. Gary Medel is out. And Thiago Maia seems to be his replacement. An agreement has been reached with his club Lille for a loan initially with a potential option to buy. The player has also agreed terms but nothing is confirmed official yet so this is maybe when you listen to it it is official but this can still uh, not happen of course but Thiago Maia uh, once very highly rated young Brazilian international uh, moved to Lille I think two or three seasons ago when he was 18-19 years old. He's now 22, didn't exactly have the impact that they were expecting at Lille but he is going to have an opportunity to revitalize his career in Turkey, something we've seen many foreigners do uh, and that could be an interesting move for Besiktas. Uh, Umut, are you familiar with Thiago Maia? Well, I only know him from uh, League, B, uh, League One's uh, uh, you know, summaries and uh, etc. So uh, I only know him as a uh, defensive midfielder who lacks some attacking uh, kind of uh, attributes, uh, just like Medal, but a lot younger, and which is a, a great opportunity to show himself in the big arena of Super League, uh, and uh, some opportunities to show him uh, show himself after uh, Atiba's uh, old age. Yeah, but I think there's still a difference between uh, Medel and Atiba, for example. I think Atiba's contribution offensively isn't necessarily felt uh, that much either, but he's a very in important conduit uh, connecting that defense to attack. Uh, but M Medel is really just a player that focuses on the, the defensive aspect of the game. Uh, I don't know, if Burke, if you're familiar with Thiago Maia or maybe his reputation, but a 22-year-old player... With, uh, with with potential, Besiktas are making a lot of those types of moves. Players in their mid twenties, uh, they are building a team for the future. Maya, a potential uh, part of that, would it be a good move? You think? He's not someone I've seen play a lot, to be fair with you, but he looks like he's got the build and tenacity to do well in Besiktas and for the Turkish league. So, hopefully, we get. To, I'm not sure if it's going to be too early for him to start this weekend. But we'll have to keep a close eye on him, on him in training to see what the reports are like coming out. Um, I don't know how much first-team football he played last season, but the fact that he's able to come to Besiktas shows me that he's maybe not someone they look at as a first-team right now, and they're quite happy for him to go off and get some football. But like I said, he's one of these Brazilians, and they're always going to have that little bit of flair around them as well. So... Let's wait to see him get a few games in the first eleven, and then we can see what he's really about. 
And another Brazilian with plenty of flair around him that has been linked with Besiktas in uh, recent days and has also been mentioned with Fenerbahce actually is uh, Fabinho Alcantara, the brother of Thiago Alcantara of uh, Bayern Munich, of course. But Fabinho... Uh, academy product of Barcelona or at least played for Barcelona's youth level last season uh, or two seasons ago was on loan I believe at Inter uh, has had lo- loan spells here and there um, very talented young player 26 years old but has had three major knee injuries already which is a lot for a player of that age um, currently he's uh, getting match fitness with Barcelona playing in the first team uh, played I believe 82 minutes this past weekend and then played 50 something the week before so very interesting to see how Barcelona do that uh, just have a player that is on the way out um, pick up minutes so whether it's going to Besiktas whether it's going to Valencia who he's linked with too but it looks like Fabinho is on his way out on a loan at, Val- at Barcelona Besiktas is an op- a possibility his agent was at uh, attending the match on Friday against Gustepe had talks with Besiktas officials Besiktas have also now since those talks have made a move officially have uh, put in an, an offer at Barcelona and now it's a waiting in, it's a waiting game now apparently uh, apparently they're expecting to have some clarity by Friday on that uh, on that uh, front uh, Umut I know you're a fan I believe of Fabinho would that be a move uh, uh, that you would be envious of ver- uh, correction you're calling him Fabinho but he's Rafinha Oh, why am I calling him Fabinho? Yeah, yeah, I know you're get you're getting tired, but oh, <laughs> Rafinha, sorry, yes, yeah, I may have to, yeah, Rafinha, Rafinha, thank you, um, yeah, Rafinha Alcantara, yeah, is uh, a gr- great player, uh, and uh, he's playing as a central midfielder, and he's actually quite good on both sides of the pitch, uh, both sides of the pitch, uh, both defensively and attacking uh, phases of the game and quite talented uh, on his passing game and has some great shots under his talents also uh, he's a he can be a great addition to a, a squad who is gonna take him uh, if Fenerbahce or Besiktas I don't know who I think he will be a good, great addition yeah, uh, of course it remains to be seen because he ha- does have opportunities to go, like I said, to Valencia, for example. Um, but he's a very versatile player, like uh, Umut pointed out. He can play as, a, as an 8, he can play as a 10, he can play on the left wing, he can play on the right wing, he can even play as a 6 in a pinch. It's a very versatile player. I think it's uh, the type that any team would love to have, except for apparently Barcelona, who seem to have enough uh, quality as it is and they don't seem to need him because uh, he is one of those players that uh, goes out on loan. Rafinha, possibly going to Besiktas, will, you know, like... Uh, they like this, like British fans like to say mockingly a little bit of Fikret Orman Haftaya Nitlish here. Well, you know, in this term, that's going to be clear because it will be clear next week. Uh, in a week time, we will know what's uh, what's what's happening in in all the the transfer news. So let's move on quickly because, of course, there is this ongoing saga of Radamel Falcao. Still, nothing has come of it. Uh, and I think you know what? The closer we get to to the ending of the window, the, the less likely it becomes that Falcao is going to come because we've spoken about this before. 
Galtzrai have financial fair play to worry about, so if they have to pay a transfer fee, which Monaco are insisting on, they will have to find that money elsewhere and they will have to close that, otherwise they can't register Falcao or, or Luyendama for, for the Champions League, so obviously they don't want that because... It's a big goal for Galtzrai this season to make a good impression in that Champions League. So if they get Falcao, they want to play him. So they have to be quick about it because I don't think that's a move they can still really do on deadline day. Otherwise, they're pretty in, in a very tight position because then they have to find money elsewhere to, to sell or whatever. Um, and one of the things that have come up that, that Umut pointed out earlier, Mevlut Erdinch is being named as a potential alternative to Falcao. It's a big drop-off to go from Falcao to Erdinj, but uh, Umut, what's what's the news on that? Well, uh, there, it's rumored that uh, Galatasaray is going to have a deal with Melrut Erdinj. is a one-end, uh, an optional uh, one-year contract with him uh, due to his age. And I don't think he's uh, literally the alternative to Falcao, but he's going to be the player on the bench and who is a, a Turkish player to be uh, ho- uh, as an alternative uh, uh, because of the Yabancı Kuralı rule. So you have to keep some native players on your bench and uh, to be a uh, to be considered as an alternative on your squad. So I think uh, they are going to uh, uh, on neg- negotiations with Mel Dardinj in that kind of way. Yeah, I think he's a, the guy that a guy they can use either way, whether they get Falcao or not. Because obviously, right now, I think they only have one pure striker, uh, not counting Adam Buk, not counting Ryan Donk, uh, Ryan Babel, sorry, who can both play as a striker, of course, but aren't pure strikers. So, uh, Galtzrai can, st- of course, use some depth in that position, even if Falcao wouldn't come. Uh, but I'm just gonna quickly rapid fire go over some of the other news we have. Uh, Emmanuel Adebayor, who had an expiring contract at Besiktas, has signed with Kayserispor. So Kayserispor adding another. Uh, guy in his mid-30s to their striking force. They, of course, already have Umut Bulut at 35, I think. And then they have uh, Adebayor now at 35. And I think they still have Asamoah Gion, who is like 34 too. So they have a pretty old strike force right now. Um, then something we already alluded to in last week's episode, but Mert Chetin has officially signed with AS Roma. I believe the transfer fee involved here was 2.5 million uh, and... Uh, he comes from Gensterbli, of course, so a central defender, another central defender uh, in, in Europe now, another Turkish central defender, of course, with Chalak Soyuncu doing well, with Ozan Kabak doing well, and of course, with our Meri Demiral doing well. We have quite a few central defenders in uh, the European top five leagues right now. Hopefully, Mert will get some playing time at Roma and prove himself. Um, then another transfer news, Ertac Özbir, goalkeeper, former goalkeeper of Indy Malatya Sport, has signed a two-year contract with Gensterberli. Ertrul Ersoy has joined former teammate Umut Meraj at Le Havre in the French Ligue 2. He joins them from Bursaspor on a 750,000 euro transfer fee. I know he was linked with Galtzrai too for the same fee, but I think at the end of the day Galtzrai didn't feel like they were, wanted to pay a 750,000 fee, which they then would have to you know, find elsewhere to break even on. Uh, and then finally, Seido Dumbia, we alluded to it earlier, uh, Chaiko Rizespor with the injury of Mustafa El Kabir looking f- to add another striker to their team. Seydou Dumbia is currently being 
Uh, they're currently in negotiations with Seydou Dumbia. That's a name, of course, we've heard a lot over the years linked with Fenerbahce, Galt, uh, Besiktas too. I'm not sure if Galatasaray were linked with him at one point. Probably they were. Uh, but he's linked, been linked with uh, the top teams in Turkey for a long time. And he may end up in uh, Rize now. Okay, so uh, on Thursday, the Europa League, we already talked about that earlier. Trabzonspor will be hosting Ike Athens. Um, at uh, the Akiazi Stadium. In the Super League on match day 3 on Friday, Kasim Pasha will be hosting Angaragücü and Kayseri Sport will be hosting Galatasaray. On Saturday, Konya Sport host Antalya Sport, Göztepe host Denizli Sport and Besiktas host Çaykur Rizespor. On Sunday then, we have Genshterbeli hosting Başakşehir, Sivaspor hosting Gazişehir, Fenerbahçe hosting Trabzonspor and Malatyaspor hosting Alanya Sport. No Monday matches, of course, because we're heading into the international break. The big match of match day three is without a doubt Fenerbahce Trabzonspor, which will uh, be very important going into the, the title race. We'll have some indications for sure. But we spoke about that already, so I think uh, we're good to go. This is a pretty lengthy episode of Football All Turka, and we'll be back next week with uh, match day three results. Of course, the Europa League draw. Uh, briefly we'll cover the Europa League and uh, Champions League group stage draw hopefully with a positive result with Trabzonspor being in that draw and then we will also uh, be recording uh, an individual episode on the opponents of our uh, Turkish teams you will get all of that but uh, for this week um, I want to thank you all for listening to Football All Turka. Burak thank you very much for coming on and of course Uma thank you very much for coming on Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you for making it through this two-hour episode. So a lot of talking was done, obviously. It's good to be back with Khan and Omit. Um, Azad has completely buoyed us off. I think he said he he had to go out to lunch to try some of this famous Chicago deep dish pizza. So I hope it was worth it, Azad. And i hope you kind of choke on it but you you survive you just get it down your nice crisp white shirt and you have to walk around with a dirty shirt all day at work but i hope to get you back on a podcast soon and again you can get to us on on reddit twitter um i don't think we're on any other social channels yet but we might be let us know what you thought of the pod what you like what you don't like and what you want to hear and see in the future and thank you for allowing us into your ears as well if you would like to support the podcast, please head over to patreon.com slash fault, F-A-L-T, and you can become one of our official patrons, an official Turkaholic, uh, if you pledge $3 a month, or an official Turkomaniac if you pledge 10 a month. Go ahead and do that. Uh, and obviously, if you have a business and you want to advertise, you can always get in touch with us as well uh, through these channels and uh we can include uh, an advertisement for your business on our show, which we are very open to. Uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you all next week. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>